0: Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to the History Today podcast. This article is taken from the November issue of the magazine, which is on sale now. Despite her valiant efforts on their behalf, Margaret of Anjou would lose both her husband and her son in the dynastic tragedy of the Wars of the Roses. By Lauren Johnson Read by Greg Johnson. The coastal fortress of Bamba in the far northeast of England was suddenly overrun by soldiers on the 25th of October, 1462. English, French, and Scottish rebels, they had sailed across the North Sea to fight for Henry VI, though they were not commanded by him. Instead, they answered to his queen, Margaret of Anjou. The seizure of Bamba was part of a campaign by Margaret that was to endure for more than a decade, ultimately succeeding, against all odds, in achieving her ambition of restoring the Lancastrian dynasty to the English throne. In the Wars of the Roses, Margaret is remembered as a warrior queen, the she-wolf of France, but the means by which she operated in the period of Lancastrian exile from 1461 to 71, her unceasing diplomatic efforts in Europe and campaign of resistance in northern England have tended to be sidelined in histories of this apparently national conflict. The reasons for this neglect in the 15th century are clear. Margaret's activities were often geographically distant from the largely southern English chronicles of this era. They resulted from covert negotiations by Margaret and her agents and involved foreign powers whose contribution was considered distasteful by some English writers. There was also considerable contemporary unease at the military and diplomatic dominance of a powerful woman over her husband. But the story of Margaret's campaign to regain the crown for the House of Lancaster is one of daring deeds, admirable courage and tragedy wrenched from the jaws of triumph. It demands to be told. Seventeen months before the invasion at Bamba, in March 1461, Henry VI had been driven from the kingdom over which he had reigned since he was nine months old. Now in his forties, Henry had proven woefully inadequate as a king, losing all the French territories that his warrior father, Henry V, had gained during the Hundred Years' War, even losing those that the English had occupied since the 12th century. Unfairly, Henry's continental losses were ascribed to the French Queen Margaret's undue influence over him. In fact, after arriving in England aged 15 in 1445, Margaret had readily accepted the role expected of her as a politically subservient peacemaker. It was only when Henry suffered a mental collapse in the summer of 1453 that Margaret asserted her right to a leading role in politics. Seven months pregnant at the time of Henry's psychotic break, Margaret endured another sixteen months of uncertainty. Her only child, Prince Edward of Lancaster, was born in October 1453, but Henry did not recover until December 1454. From then on, Henry never fully directed his own government, retreating into hapless political gestures as Margaret was forced more and more to act as the true leader of the Lancastrian dynasty. Dissatisfaction with Henry's inept rule and Margaret's increasing dominance carved deep rifts in the body politic, alienating his subjects from the House of Lancaster. In 1461, after years of violent struggle, Henry was deposed in favour of a distant kinsman, the charismatic and militarily capable teenager Edward IV of the House of York. Henry Margaret, their son Prince Edward of Lancaster, and around 30 loyal attendants and their families fled north, seeking refuge in Scotland with the Dutch Queen Regent Mary of Gelders. Margaret and Mary already knew one another and, while Henry sought personal solace visiting monastic sites, the Queens negotiated an alliance to restore the House of Lancaster through military action. Nominally, this campaign was for Henry, but increasingly, The future of the dynasty was vested in his son, the young prince. Margaret hoped to resurrect the old alliance of France and Scotland in the Lancastrian cause, and to that end took the divisive step of surrendering Berwick, a long-contested border fortress, to Mary of Gelders in April 1461. French aid ought to have been secured more easily, as Henry and Margaret were both related to Charles VII of France. Henry's late mother was Charles's sister, Catherine Valois, and Margaret's aunt, Marie of Anjou, was Charles's wife. Moreover, in recent years, Charles had come to rely heavily on Margaret's Angevin relations to rule France, as he suffered worsening bouts of ill health, binding his ulcerated legs and concealing the resultant limp beneath floor-sweeping gowns. Unfortunately for Henry and Margaret, Charles went into a steep decline at the worst possible moment for the Lancastrian cause. He developed an abscess in his jaw and, unable to eat or drink, starved to death in July 1461. Charles' successor was the universal spider, Louis XI. Unreliable and self-serving, Louis' infamously sloppy appearance – he was mistaken for his own servant on more than one occasion – concealed a mind moulded for duplicity. His earliest act as king was to imprison his father's Angevine advisers, a worrying indication of his lack of interest in Margaret's concerns. Worse, Louis had spent the last five years living in the court of Philip, Duke of Burgundy, a known Yorkist confederate. Starved of aid from abroad, Margaret was forced to rely on fomenting domestic unrest. With what scant Scottish support she could gather. Raids over the border disturbed the northeast of England throughout summer 1461, while simultaneous risings were led by Lancastrian supporters in Wales, the Calais Pale, and the West Country. By early 1462, Margaret had managed to suborn John de Vere, Earl of Oxford, into the role of royal assassin. Oxford agreed to murder Edward IV as the first step towards a simultaneous foreign invasion and domestic rebellion. But the plot was discovered before Margaret could put it into effect, and Oxford and his co-conspirators, including his handsome young son, Aubrey de Vere, were executed in February 1462. It had become clear in that first year of campaigning that dispatching ambassadors overseas would not yield the results Margaret wanted. Her ambition, as revealed by a Lancastrian messenger captured by Edward IV early in 1462, was no less than a concerted invasion, uniting most of the powers of Europe involving hundreds of thousands of troops. It was a monumental undertaking, and the only way Margaret believed that she could achieve it Was by appealing personally to European princes. Thus, in spring 1462, in spite of warnings from her noble advisers to adventure not her person by the sea, Margaret took Prince Edward and set sail for France. Henry remained behind in Scotland, partly to act as a figurehead for Lancastrian rule in Britain, but also because his diplomatic ineptitude made him potentially damaging to Margaret's efforts. The foundations for the invasion of Northumberland were laid in June 1462, when Margaret secured a hundred-year truce with King Louis on behalf of Henry VI. Where Louis led, the Duchy of Brittany was expected to follow, but the alliance was hard won. Just as Margaret had been forced to cede Berwick as the price of Scottish support, so she now surrendered the vital English-held trading and military port of Calais in order to gain Louis's navy and soldiers. This agreement was so potentially damaging to the Lancastrian cause that Margaret insisted it remain secret, omitting it from the official treaty agreed with Louis at Tours on the 28th of June. With promises of naval and military support from Louis, Margaret planned her Northumbrian invasion, but by the time she sailed into Bamba in October 1462, having collected Henry from Scotland en route, Margaret's invasion force was a pale shadow of her ambitious scheme. At most she had only 2,000 soldiers, perhaps as few as 800. This was far below the tens of thousands that she had hoped for. The international landscape evolved too quickly and too self-interestedly for Margaret. Barely was the ink dry on the Treaty of Tours than Margaret learnt that Mary of Gelders had betrayed her devastating Scottish raids in the Yorkist cause and pressure from her uncle, Philip of Burgundy, had compelled Mary to make peace with the Yorkist regime in July. Worse, Louis was soon distracted from his cousin's war by his thirst to seize Calais. When Louis could not secure the port, he abandoned Margaret's invasion. Although Margaret's forces managed to take control of a handful of Northumbrian forts in winter 1462, When a Yorkist army advanced against them, led by Edward IV's chief advisor, Warwick the Kingmaker, Margaret knew that she could not hold out. On the 13th of November, she, Henry, Prince Edward and 400 French soldiers fled Bamba. Officially, they retreated in hopes of mustering a Scottish relief force, but to the garrisons left behind, who were forced to eat their own horses to survive the Yorkist siege, it was an abandonment. Even the weather conspired against Lancaster. Storms lashed Margaret's fleet, scattering it across the North Sea and smashing her own vessel to pieces. She was forced to get into a little boat and limp to land as her ship, laden with a precious cargo of Margaret's possessions, sank. Bereft of their commanders, the Northumbrian fortresses that Margaret had struggled so hard to secure fell to the Yorkists in the new year. Yet sparks of resistance continued to flare across the north of England. By New Year 1464, Bamber was regained and Henry VI installed himself there, while rebellions spread throughout the Welsh marches and into the traditional Lancastrian heartlands of Lancashire and Cheshire. Although Henry was the symbolic figurehead of these risings, even willing on occasion to don armour and his double-crowned helm to parade beneath royal banners and call out the men of England in his cause, the real motivating force behind these campaigns remained Margaret. She had not abandoned hope of yoking these Lancastrian rebellions to a wider conspiracy that would restore her family. To this end, in July 1463, she and Prince Edward bade Henry farewell for what would prove the final time and crossed the Channel once more. Despite the sea dividing them, she and Henry remained in contact. They developed a secret code, lest any of their messages be intercepted. So considerable was Henry's trust in Margaret that when he sought military aid from foreign princes, he told them to address any queries about provision or diplomacy to the advice and discretion of the Queen. Margaret's exploits from the time she left Henry in 1463 were personally narrated by her to foreign courtiers and were later recorded in the works of the Burgundian writers Georges Chastelain and Philip de Comines. One extraordinary tale related to Anne, Duchess of Bourbon, claimed that Margaret and Prince Edward were briefly captured by forest outlaws who tore the jewels from Margaret's clothing and threatened to slit both their throats. They were saved by Margaret's quick thinking. When the thieves got into a heated argument about how to divide the spoils plucked from the Queen's body they were sufficiently distracted that she could seize her son and flee with him into the forest. Even more bold was her approach to Philip, Duke of Burgundy, later that summer. Philip was a long-term ally of the Yorkists and the only man that the infamously Pacific Henry wanted to wage war on, so at first sight there was little to recommend him as an ally. Nonetheless, Margaret saw the advantage of detaching Philip from his Yorkist sympathies and, in August 1463, she set out to disrupt his negotiations for a treaty with Edward IV by directly appealing to the Duke himself. Despite repeated requests that she stay away, Margaret disguised herself as a peasant woman in a rustic carriage and crossed territory littered with enemy soldiers to confront Philip at St Paul. As a prince who prided himself on his personal chivalry, Philip could hardly refuse an audience with the dispossessed queen when she turned up on his doorstep. Although he did not promise to support Lancaster, he rewarded Margaret's efforts with money and a rare diamond for the cash strapped queen. Meanwhile, in England, the Lancastrian creep continued. By early 1464, most of the north was in Lancastrian hands. And, imitating Margaret's tactics with Burgundy, Henry dispatched his followers from Bamber to disrupt Yorkist peace talks with Scotland, this time by military means. Alas, Henry was no warrior. At Hexham, on the 15th of May, 1464, Henry's troops were roundly defeated by a Yorkist army. Henry himself was several miles away, hiding in Bywell Castle where the discarded remnants of his armour and a few confused pageboys were discovered by the Yorkists hours later. Henry managed to evade Yorkist capture for over a year, but in July 1465 he was betrayed and captured in Lancashire. Transported to London with his feet humiliatingly bound to his horse's stirrups, he was imprisoned in the Tower, and there he would remain until Margaret could free him. Margaret's response to her husband's capture was to redouble her diplomatic efforts. She had settled at Kerr Castle in Bar, a lesser seat of her father, René of Anjou, and there she became the spider at the heart of a vast web of treasonable activity stretching across Europe. As well as Louis XI, who was bombarded with emissaries and personal entreaties from Margaret, Every European power whose nighness of blood might make them receptive to a Lancastrian restoration was approached. Generations of intermarriage meant these potential avenues of alliance crossed the continent. Henry's great-grandfather, John of Gaunt, had married three times, siring not only the English dynasties of Lancaster and Beaufort, but also descendants including Alfonso, King of Portugal, Eleonora, Empress of Germany, Henri of Castile, and Charles of Burgundy, the son of Duke Philip. To these distant kinship networks, Margaret now appealed in hope of finally achieving her Europe-wide campaign to remove the Yorkists from the throne. From the start, though, her efforts were thwarted by faulty intelligence. When she dispatched the Earl of Ormond to the King of Portugal, neither she nor her courtiers were clear of the King's name. Despite her exertions, no European alliance was forged. Nonetheless, Margaret continued to hope for her son's restoration. She ensured that Prince Edward's education would make him a very different King from his peace-loving father one of Edward's earliest princely acts had been to preside, aged seven, over the trial and execution of two ex-Lancastrian lords who had defected to the Yorkists in the wake of the Battle of St Albans in 1461. Edward had been blooded young, and while his education included the usual princely accomplishments of Latin and legal statecraft, military prowess was given primacy. Edward's tutor, Sir John Fortescue, reported that the prince gave himself over entirely to martial exercises, sitting on fierce and half-tamed steeds to practice his skills at arms. By the time Prince Edward entered his teens in 1466, a Milanese ambassador claimed he talked of nothing but cutting off heads and making war. While Prince Edward was preparing to take the English throne by force. Margaret still watched for any chance to seize it diplomatically. Thus, she saw an opportunity to capitalise on Yorkist division long before others. In 1464, Edward IV had alienated his cousin and chief counsellor, Warwick the Kingmaker, by marrying an Englishwoman, Elizabeth Woodville, without consulting his advisers and, mortifyingly, while Warwick was negotiating a marriage between Edward and a French princess. Margaret knew about Warwick's resentment at this royal duplicity as early as February 1465. She appealed immediately to Louis XI to assist her in seizing the opportunity of Yorkist division to invade England. Louis rebuffed Margaret, but her instincts were right. This rift between Edward and Warwick would never heal and, by 1467, Louis was starting to see the benefit of fostering Yorkist division. Edward IV had grown closer to Burgundy and was negotiating a marriage between his sister and the Burgundian heir, Charles. Although Charles's Lancastrian blood had hitherto inclined him to assist his kinsmen against the Yorkists, his first ambition was to remove Louis from his throne. This alliance thus raised the spectre of a Yorkist-Burgundian invasion of France, depriving Louis of power and Lancaster of its chief, though unreliable, ally. Finally, Louis was willing to consider Margaret's advice. An ambassadorial report of a conversation between Louis and Margaret's brother, John of Calabria, in 1467, revealed that she was prepared to ally with Warwick. If Louis was so fond of Warwick, John said, he ought to try and restore his sister in England. By implication, what was good for Lancaster would now be good for Warwick. Margaret neither trusted nor forgave her enemy's usurpation of her husband, but she nonetheless recognized the distasteful necessity of uniting with him in common cause against Edward the Fourth. The following year, a Lancastrian messenger travelling to Wales was captured by Edward the Fourth and tortured into revealing the strands of this conspiracy. Already, a number of Warwick's closest allies were implicated in a rebellion to restore Henry the Sixth. Margaret's international plot finally came to fruition in June 1470, when she, Warwick and Louis signed the Treaty of Angers. Remarkably, in the short term, the alliance was a resounding success. In October 1470, Edward IV was driven from the throne and Henry VI restored. Warwick acted as effective regent until Margaret and Prince Edward could join him in England. In November 1470, an English fleet was readied to transport the Queen and Prince back from France, but Louis refused to permit them to leave his court. Among the terms of the Treaty of Angers was an Anglo-French war on Burgundy, and Louis held Margaret hostage until Warwick had officially announced military support for that campaign in February 1471. Once again, Louis' self-interest created disaster for Margaret. The fugitive Edward IV had claimed refuge with his sister and her husband, Charles of Burgundy. When Louis and the Lancastrians declared war, Charles was provoked into supporting York. He provided Edward with a navy and 50,000 florins to regain his crown. Finally released by Louis, Margaret and her son returned to England as fast as they could, but bad weather delayed their arrival too long. They landed On the 14th of April, 1471, to learn that Henry had been taken prisoner and Warwick killed in battle. On the 4th of May, Margaret's Lancastrian army confronted the Yorkist force of Edward IV at Tewkesbury. Margaret's son, Prince Edward, insisted on fighting, knowing from the education that Margaret had provided that his presence could provide a decisive moral victory. In his first battle, Prince Edward was killed. The Lancastrian army, which Margaret had spent a decade assembling, was annihilated in just a few hours. The supporters who had been Margaret's companions in exile throughout those perilous years were butchered in her cause. Margaret was found four days later. As a prisoner, she was driven in a cart before Edward IV's army when he entered London in triumph on the 21st of May. That same night, Henry VI was murdered in the Tower of London, her son and husband dead. Margaret retreated completely from the political scene. With her retirement, Edward IV's victory over the House of Lancaster was assured. Margaret lived another eleven years, first as Edward's prisoner and then, from 1475, as a hostage of Louis's half-hearted hospitality in France. She spent her final years seeking solace in religious relics, reading and riding through the Loire countryside with her hunting dogs. She may have found comfort in a work she had commissioned from the Burgundian memoirist Georges Chastelain. In his Temple de Bocasse, Margaret appeared as a forlorn heroine, the rock of the English kingdom, consoling herself with the image of fallen leaders who had gone before. Like them, she had the power to inspire And command, and also to garner and retain loyalty. When she died in August 1482, she was still attended by Catherine Vaux, a Provencal who had been with her for over thirty years, and who, like Margaret, had lost her loved ones at Tewkesbury. Margaret was indeed the rock of the English kingdom, the foundation on which the Lancastrian cause had maintained itself for a decade and more. Without her and her unceasing diplomatic and military efforts, the re of Henry VI in 1470-71 to would simply not have happened. Her tragedy was not, as chastelain suggested, that she had fallen from power to misfortune, but that when she finally achieved her longed-for victory, she set in motion the tragedy that deprived her of her family, and thus of the very cause that she had maintained and which had maintained her for over a decade. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.